Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. We have Vance here in the front of the Ranger. We have Todd Young on speakerphone. We have Patrick Krumenacher as our special guest. He's also on the phone. Um, this podcast brought to you by Fatty Z Muskie Products. Find us at fattyzmuskie.com, Fatty Z Muskie Products on Facebook, and what is it? Follow us, like us on Instagram, mm-hmm. Fatty Z Muskie Products there. Uh, also, friend Todd Young on Facebook. He uh, is founder, owner, operator, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. MC yeah, Fish- as long as you're not pushing Oakley sunglasses. Yeah, what yeah. is that all about? I, I don't. You and, I have no and idea. Tony, Tony Grant just, hit that all the time. It just started blowing up. I got these people that everyone's pushing Oakley sunglasses. For I'm, what, going like, to unfri- I'm going to unfriend you for, for twenty four ninety nine or something. <laughs> ridiculously priced but um they're knockoffs yeah. yeah of course they're knockoffs um <laughs> then uh mcfishingguides.com muddy creek fishing guides on facebook you can find that there also st croix rods todd you want to talk a little about st croix yeah st croix rods made in the usa uh at least most of them you get yeah. the lower end ones or not but uh yeah they're, they're still good we've rods a long time uh we're on the guide their their guide program and uh pretty much all we're all using so uh they, they make a great rod for every occasion <laughs> check them out check them out uh st croix i don't even know their website i probably should have known just google st croix rods yeah um but uh st croix might take you to the uh islands and uh where the weather's much nicer than it is around here right now so if you want to hit St. Croix rods, yeah. yeah, fishing rods. But I'm sure everyone that's probably listening to the podcast knows St. Croix rods. Yes, I'm making an assumption. I'm going out on a leap of faith there. Um, but anyways, okay, we got Patrick Krumenacher here. Pat, uh, Patrick, I should say. Do you uh, you have any plugs? Uh, I just want everyone out there. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out out there or listening. Always go check out muskiesinc.org. There's always a local chapter by you. And, um, you know, it's a great organization. We'll get into that. But make sure you check out the website, see what we're all about. Nice. So, okay. <clears throat> we, we've touched on some of these. Uh, first off, I guess I, I could dive right in. Is there something you want to start with, Todd or Patrick or Vance? Is there? I want to hear about. No. Yeah, go ahead, Todd. No, no, I mean, I, yeah, we'll just get Patrick one. I mean, he's he's the he's the president of a new newer club in Muskie Inc. I mean, we have quite a few in Pennsylvania. I was a member of Penn Ohio years ago, which uh, uh, was a little bit of a travel for me. They like to go to meetings or anything, and then they started the Three Rivers chapter, which at one time was a very large chapter, and uh, I think they have one out in the east and. Yeah, it was time to have one in the center of the state. I mean, those guys, who's going to come, you know, Patrick looks two, three hours from where, uh, you know, the Three Rivers meets, and uh, the Three River meetings are and things, and it it was time to have a nice club out there. Those guys have some great fisheries going on out there. uh, You know, the river systems, there's a couple of real good lakes in the center part of uh, Pennsylvania. Patrick's the new, what, after two years? Uh, yeah, we're just about two years, and I mean, just to go along with what you're saying, 
you know, there's Muskie's Inc. chapters all over the place. I was a Three Rivers member for a long time. That's actually where I met Todd first. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of spurred from, you know, our local fisheries here, Glendale Lake, Kerlinville, Susquehanna, Marburg, Raystown. And, again, you know, geography gets in the way. You can't drive two, three hours to make meetings. And we really need our own chapter. You know, here in Pennsylvania, like a lot of areas, we are so dependent upon Muskie Zinc as an organization to support our muskie fisheries. Uh, I, Pennsylvania is just the biggest example of that. If it wasn't for Muskie Inc. dollars, for chapters and the memberships that make up those chapters, you know, what's already kind of a tough muskie fishery, without a doubt, would be much, much worse. Yeah. So it's important that, you know, we, uh, you know, exist and try to cover different parts of the state. How many, uh, how many members do you have in the club? Do you know that, Patrick? We're at 54 now. Uh, our yep. club will be two years old in June. So we've been slowly growing. Uh, the biggest thing is trying to get quality members or quantity, I guess. Yeah. 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 Guys, guys who want to be involved. That's always hard <laughs> in, in, in that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's really cool. Uh, there is some great fisheries out in the center part of Pennsylvania. And as Patrick said, we've talked about Muskie Nick numerous times before on some podcasts. And, uh, I, so, I, I've been a member for many, many years. And I, you know, I think it's, I think it's important. You know, people like to bring up some of the negatives, but, uh, you know, the positives that can come about from being a member of a large organization like that. Uh, it, it, it's definitely definitely worth your thirty five dollars a month to me, in my right. eyes. <laughs> and quite frankly, for many states, you know, this isn't just Pennsylvania. Uh, again, you know, we are dependent. Our fisheries are dependent upon these clubs to help fund stocking or research programs. And you know, right now, musky fishing in general is more popular than it's ever been. We have better fisheries than we've probably ever had. And a big part of that is because of Muskie Zinc. Muskie Zinc, back in the 60s when it started, really started the catch and release culture. I mean, today it's taboo anyone who keeps a muskie. You know, we handle these things with velvet gloves, and that's thanks in large part to Muskie Zinc's efforts early on. And yeah, I t- totally agree with that. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, on national, I sit on the national marketing membership committee, and unfortunately, our numbers overall for membership keep going down year after year. And, you know, maybe that's an internal problem on Muskie's Inc. end, but how do you have Muskie fishing be more popular than ever, and we're struggling more than ever with membership? So you know, what, what are your obligations as a member? And, you know. Yeah, you may have a chapter, and the closest one to you is three hours away, but that $35 a year, it gets you the magazine six times a year, access to the lunch log, but it's money well spent. Even if you can't be overly involved because of geography, you know that you're supporting a small local organization that's really building your fisheries. Yep. And, and we've talked about this before. It's the price of a lure nowadays. Sure. For annual membership, 
uh, you know, it, it, it gets you into if you like to go in some, some of the tournaments and things like that. Uh, you know, some of the clubs, I know our club takes non-members now, but you pay a little bit extra. But uh, uh, And I have a lot of friends that aren't with Muskies anymore that were for many years, but uh, I'm always in a sense, and I haven't been to a meeting. I have a church meeting the same night as our meeting. <laughs> Or must be ink meeting. I haven't been there for three years, but to, to one of the meetings or anything. But I will always spend the money in, and I always be a member because I don't care what, what they do with it, uh, because I know it's helping. So sure. it doesn't all stay in Wisconsin. That's some of the things you hear is all oh, the money goes out there and they do this and this, but that that's not the case. They've helped us here with our club at Three Rivers in Pennsylvania numerous times. So uh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, the membership fee, just full disclosure, you know, that does go to national for different programs. But, for instance, right now, they are funding an effort here in Region 3, which is the Northeast, um, to help us and help the chapters garner more memberships, uh, get the word out by, you know, providing trade show booths. We're doing a program with Tony Grant and Greg Thomas, where... Uh, you know, they're pushing us at their Muskie Road Rules program. And the money for that's coming from Muskie's International. It's not coming out of the chapter's pockets. At the end of the day, state fish commissions or the DNR, whatever your respective state has, they look at numbers. You know, one person screaming, I want more muskies or we got to protect the muskies, doesn't have the same voice that a national organization does. Exactly. Yeah. That that's how we got stuff done around here was uh you know, using the Muskeet name. Uh our club was a big part of getting the the uh you know, the, the forty inch size limit. We used to have two fish a day, thirty inches for umpteen years and uh you know, the open season year round, that that was something the guys were interested in and they uh I, I don't know if it would have happened without Muskeet name attached to it, you know, something they could go and put their hands on and look at. Uh, sure. I mean, like Three Rivers, um, you know, Three Rivers, uh, right now they're having some issues keeping the membership numbers up, but there's still such a great core group of people running that chapter. And right now they're funding a lot of research programs, as is my chapter and the Penn Jersey chapter out east. Yeah. Uh, but, again, it's having that national branding with you that allows us to get the attention of the fish mission. Yep. Hmm. So, Patrick, I'm a new member. I want to join Nittany Valley Muskie Zinc chapter. What do you expect from me? You know, it comes back to the geography thing. We have a meeting every other month. Uh, we don't expect everyone to make it. You know, meetings, even for my own chapter, are over an hour away from me. We don't expect people to be able to attend everything. My job as the president and the people who work with me on the board is to keep you guys in touch with what's going on. We have big votes that we go through, email and everything. And if you're a gentleman who can't make every meeting, you know, make the tournaments that you can make. We usually have a, a meeting type of thing tied into every tournament we have. 
if we're sending out emails and we're asking for ideas, you know, I'm always looking for ideas from people who maybe live out by Harrisburg that are a member of my chapter or up in Williamsport. Because, you know, we're covering the central portion of the state. And we need people to be vocal. Even if you can't be there all the time, be vocal. We want to hear the ideas. And that's why I expect people to just communicate with me. If they have a problem with something, they have a problem with the way we're operating, or they want to see something done a little differently, we're all ears. I'm no expert at this. This is very new to me. But I know the impact that the organization can have. And we're seeing some real great growth because my members, you know, some I've never shaken their hand, but I talk to them every week through email or by phone because they're passionate about improving their fishery. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that is a big area you're covering there. Uh, it is. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of these muskie zinc chapters are. Um, you know, again, most of a lot of my members, at one time, they were either Penn Jersey or Three Rivers, but now we're focusing efforts, conservation, or stocking in their own waterways. And a lot of people don't join Muskie Zinc chapter because they're worried about meetings or what have you. But you can join Muskie Zinc and be unaffiliated. Again, that $35 a year, like Todd said, you know, it's the price of a lure. But that $35 a year isn't going to something that's just going to sit in your tackle box or see the water once in a while. It's going to help your fisheries for years and years down the road. It's worth you, spending the money. And you brought up the access to that lunge log. Uh, I just think it's just the coolest thing in the world that they have, you know, documented. Sure. I think, I think they're 370, around 370,000, I believe, fish registered. Yeah. It's a fine number. What's so cool about that for people who don't know what it is? With your membership, you have access to a lunge log. So let's say I'm Patrick from Johnstown, which I am. That's helpful. And I'm going to fish Chautauqua for the first time. Well, I can go in there, plug in Chautauqua, and it's going to pull up catch records. It's going to show the date muskies were caught, the size the lures they were caught on, whether it's trolling, casting, what the weather conditions were, all those little details we all keep in our personal logbooks, and that's part of your membership. If you're going to Lake St. Clair, you know, you want to make the best of the opportunity, you can access and see records of literally thousands of fish that have been caught, and that's just part of the membership. It's because of the network of anglers being willing to share that information. Like having your own virtual guide, and you don't now, get I'm that unless you're a member. The same job as Todd in the boat, but you know it's still something. <laughs> that helps the learning curve certainly. Good deal. Good deal. So, <clears throat> the fly fishing tournament that you help put on—that's also part of Muskie's Inc. That is. Um, if people haven't been seeing it yet or seeing it on Facebook. Fly fishing for muskies, it's the new hot thing. It's taking off, and there's good reason. Um, about a fifth of my membership are muskie fishermen that are fly fishing only. And it was until I met these folks that, you know, until then I got started doing it and caught a few on the fly. It's absolutely awesome. Now, this is a part of 
the musky fishery or the musky brotherhood that's kind of underrepresented. You know, there's all these big tournaments, there's the PMTT, but there's very little that's dedicated just towards musky flying. So as part of my chapter starting, last year we held the first Beast of these Musky Fly Fishing Championship. It's on the Allegheny River uh, between the Kinsey Reservoir and President PA. It includes Cayenesta Lake, and this year we're going to include Kinsey Reservoir itself as well. Basically, there's two other tournaments, one in Wisconsin, and then there's the Southern Classic down in Tennessee every year. This tournament is just unbelievable. We have people for our first year come in from 10 different states to fish for two days. Todd was up there last year for it. We had some terrible conditions. Uh, the Allegheny River was flowing at 19,000 CFS, uh, but some fish were caught still. It's a great event. This year is going to be even bigger. You know, we kind of kept things loose the first year, and now we're starting to fine-tune everything based off of questions and comments that we received after the event. So for this year, we are really trying to keep everything under one roof. Uh, we just booked today the Holiday Inn in Warren, Pennsylvania. That's going to serve as headquarters for everything, everything from the captain's meetings to the evening hangout sessions. Uh, Friday night, we're going to have pizza and beer, telling everyone to bring their fly time advice. Saturday night after fishing is done is the big awards banquet, and we have some great sponsors like Sage, Reddington, Rector Waters, Rio Line, you name it. And they're donating, in most cases, um, prizes for us, and there's a big cash payout with it, too. But the reason it's been such a success is because you have all these musky fly anglers out there, and they want a reason to come together. You know, if nothing else, musky think gives you that network of anglers. It gives you a chance to meet people who share the same passion for the sport. And our beast of the East is allowing that opportunity for these fly fishermen out there. Uh, this year, we've affiliated loosely with the Southern Classic, which is run by Toey Boats down in Tennessee, so that the winner of their tournament this May is going to have free entry into our tournament in October. And the winner of our tournament in October, uh, that team's going to have free entry into the Southern Classic for 2017. Again, it's not just about having another tournament. I personally, I hate tournaments. Why would you ever go to a lake that you knew was going to be inundated with muskie fishermen? But it's gives you that networking opportunity. It creates the brotherhood. And that's what people are looking for. You know, if nothing else, you know, let's get together. Let's share tips and tactics, whether it's fly fishing, trolling, casting. We have to have opportunities to come together. So that's what the Beast of Beast does for these fly anglers. Yeah, I'll tell you, that's a, you know, I, I get to fish. I've got to fish lots of places. I've heard years, but not. <clears throat> that tournament there, I mean, you talk about some beautiful, some beautiful water. I mean, you're in, you're in some beautiful bodies of water. Uh, well, the scenery too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that, and that's that's what I'm talking about. I mean, the scenery, you know, the Kinsu, the you 
know, it's high enough. You're in the mountains. You're in the heartland of Pennsylvania's <laughs> mountains, and in the river system, you know, you're up high on the Allegheny. You're up, a, you know, the, you know, sort of the. I guess it would be called the Upper Allegheny, but it's still a big river. Believe me, when we were trying to paddle around in our on our uh, in our drift boat high high water temps. Yeah, it, it it's still a very large body of water. But I mean, you know, the scenery, the hills, the mountains and uh you know, as Patrick said, the conditions, I don't know how they could have been any worse. But, you know, <laughs> there were some serious fish caught, which uh, you know, I had my doubts. <laughs> I didn't know guys are gonna catch fish in that. I'm not familiar with that body of water at all up there. Uh you know Yeah. And we tried to you know, we, we, we tried to fish Kind of that's the lake, but it was, uh, you know, we, we, we were fishing where I usually parked my truck in the parking lot. That's how hot it was. And that's, you know, I mean, what I think it was 12 or 16 feet high, 20 feet high. I can't remember. It was high. (laughs) You know, being the show promoter and the tournament director, those conditions, again, you couldn't have asked for anything worse. It was absolutely awful. If it wasn't for the fact that people would come in from Michigan and Minnesota for it, we probably would have canceled it. But you know what? They still got out there. I think, mm-hmm. or I know the winning fish was a 47-inch fish. Uh, we had some other big ones. And under those tough conditions, you know, a lot of people, they see a musky fly guy on the water, and they think, man, what a nut job, right? <laughs> but... It's an incredibly effective way to catch muskie. Uh, it gives them a presentation they don't see often. And at the end of the tournament, or that specific tournament, you know, yeah, our numbers will probably be better this year with better conditions. But no one cared about how many fish were caught or what the size was. Again, it was an opportunity to bring that brotherhood together and just hang out. You know, again, I, I'm not a tournament guy. I, I, to me, they drive me crazy, but they create an opportunity to bring people together. And that's part of musky fishing, too. It's part of seeing the eagles along the Allegheny. It's the occasional black bear. It's that musky that pops up and misses your bait. You know, it's sharing the boat with the buddies, having a beer in the evening. That's all part of musky fishing, too. And, you know, one thing I'll say for these fly guys, why a lot of us sometimes get a little too caught up on how many we're catching or what's the guy next to me doing right or wrong. You know, these guys are really out there just fully enjoying the experience. And I think we all try to do that as musky anglers, but sometimes we get a little too caught up in the, you know, is that a dadson on the end of that line or is that a headlock or, you know, what are we fishing with? <laughs> And we have to remember why we're out there to begin with. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that, that's kind of like my little story. I started out on my little river, which is a tributary to the Allegheny. And there's something, you know, is there better fisheries around? Absolutely. There's something that I'm always going to get drawn back to that that river system, that the the solitude, the view, and you know, the, probably the only. Well, the river that I only know that would probably top the view of mine is the Allegheny. And I, I believe that's the middle Allegheny between that flows out of Kinzu, isn't it? Isn't that kind of like the upper? What's that? I believe it's considered the upper, isn't it? I thought the upper was upstream of the, the reservoir. 
and the middle was Warren down to, I don't know, I, I, I should have done a little more research, but <laughs> I always thought that was the middle Allegheny. But, I mean, it's just driving through Warren and stuff, you can look, it's like this wide, rocky bottom, riffles, sure. big, it's, it's just beautiful, and there's, you know, there's great fishing there. I mean, you know, there's... This is why, you know, the funny thing about the river is it's like as wide up there as it is down in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, when that thing comes out of uh, Kenzu there, it becomes a big river real quick. Yeah. Uh, not not like the Susquehanna also. I mean, the Susquehanna, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, it's a mile across down in some places in Pennsylvania, but it's there, or, or, or actually pretty close to it, but you can walk across that a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Allegheny is a lot more uh, boat navigable, even up there. Uh, you know, it's not like you got to be worried about busting up props and stuff. It, 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 it's a big river. It is, and what's amazing, well, I shouldn't say it's amazing, but it holds some monster fish, too. I mean, really, oh, yeah. you know, the Allegheny River is probably the best musky fishery in our state. Um, and it, it's just what's really nice about it, it's also one of the most peaceful, you know, especially in those upper sections uh, by Warren or Kitty Ute. You know, again, you have the ambiance to go with the main course, which is the fishing. And, hey, that just brings people in alone. You know, this year yep. we're moving our event to October to control river conditions a little bit more. And dealing with the Holiday Inn, who've been wonderful, uh, their big uh, issue was, you know, it's leaf-keeping season, too. That's their busy time of year. People aren't even coming to fish. They're just coming to see the leaves change, to be a part of that environment. Uh, and that just adds a great backdrop for an even better weekend. Yeah, since since you guys moved it to October, that's like prime time, October, November on rivers. And, sure. you know, it that I, I've seen a lot of photos of the Allegheny coughing up giant pike, like 40-plus inches. You know, they, they got, they're getting a really good population of, of trout, too. I, I know they're stocking that hard, but some world-class, you know, brown trout. And yeah. <clears throat> They, 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 it's also been very well known for walleye. I mean, so you could go there, you could be, you know, throwing musky flies, and you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, you're, you're obviously, you probably will catch a musky, but you could catch a giant brown, you could catch a huge walleye, smallmouth bass. It's, it's, it's really a, a neat, diverse fishery that yeah, is almost really endless. It, like, it just meanders. And yeah, goes. you know, and. And like Patrick stated, I mean, the state is stalking the Allegheny with muskies, and every single lake from where he lives, a couple hours away from us, from where we live, all these waters, all the lakes, they're all flowing. They all end up in that Allegheny River system. Uh, all these escapees that come out of these lakes. You know, we stock them in climate tuning and woodcock and every lake around here. Uh, you know, Moraine State Park, I catch them 
in my local little river that a lot of those fish would come out and rain. That's, these fish that escape, they don't get caught and harvested. You know, they meander their way downstream. They end up in that Allegheny River system. You know, the whole way from Chautauqua on down through the state, the whole way across the state. And uh, that's why uh, it, I think it was an untapped fishery for a long time, but it is not untapped anymore. No. As Patrick said, there's more, you see more and more and more photos and pictures and some real beast fish that are coming out of this Allegheny. The guys that are going after them are having success. And, uh, you know, they're finding these fish. I mean, I know people who have been pulling, uh, uh, you know, confirmed 14-pound walleyes out of uh, the, the Allegheny River and some of the tributaries real pro- close to the mouth. And it's not just muskie, you know. And some of my fly fishermen who live up in that area, they chase big brown trout out there during certain times of the year. It's just a wonderful um, fishery that's at our disposal. What's nice about it also is you don't necessarily need a boat. A lot of these areas that are primed for muskie or primed for walleye, smallmouth trout, you know, you can go and fish these areas from shore during certain times of the year to sink the weight out there. Uh, So it's a real user-friendly fishery as well. Oh, yeah, you know, hitting all those feeder streams. I mean, it's the same thing that Andy's doing up where he lives. Mm-hmm. On uh, you know, on the feeders to the feeders, <laughs> you know, you're doing the same thing. Those fish congregate at those mouths and things, and uh, yeah, it makes it, it it makes for it makes for a real special fishery we have here. I mean, Pennsylvania is known, known for its rivers, and uh, you know, there's no doubt the musky fishing done on the, the whole way through the Allegheny, the Vaughn River, the whole the, the whole system has really been putting out a lot of fish here recently. That uh, you know, I we never heard about twenty years ago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, where'd you start? Where'd you start musky fishing at? We probably should ask that first. Yeah, we should ask that first. <laughs> How'd you get into the sport of musky fishing, Patrick? Oh, uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I unfortunately was ruined at a really young age, um, or I should say, fortunately, my father has been a musky fisherman since the sixties. So my very first trip up to Canada with him when I was four years old, we were fishing the west arm of Lake Nipissing, and about 20 minutes or so into my first trip, uh, while trolling some bucktails on some weed beds, I happened to have a nice little muskie hit the line, and I've been ruined ever since. I mean, sleepless nights, lost relationships, we're getting married soon. I finally found one who's willing to put up with this addiction. <laughs> Extremely supportive, uh, which is a wonderful thing. But that's how it started for me, you know, just having a father who was very involved, and we were fortunate to share the same passion. That's awesome. Nice. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so do you... Do you go up to Nipissing every year, or is that the, the French River? Um, where we fish Nipissing, and we don't do Nipissing like we used to. You know, as we evolved as muskie anglers, we started doing Lake of the Woods, St. Clair, the St. Lawrence. Uh, I have been able to fish Nipissing on a fairly regular basis for the past few years. 
but where we were fishing is the west arm of it, so it's really off the main body of the lake, back through the guts and the bays and everything. Um, this year, I was fortunate enough to fish the main part of the lake with uh, Nipsing Muskie Guide Service, a guy named Dan Columby up there, um, back in November, and you know we had a really nice day. It, it's another one of those fisheries that offers a lot to a lot of different anglers. Hmm. Now, did what what what? You guys were in October, weren't you? Yeah, I think we were at the end of October. We went up there with Dan too. Uh, yeah. Last season, we went in in October, and I think we started in that west arm. Uh, I mean, we drove all over the lake. We must have went through a whole tank of gas. It was crazy. <laughs> and you had Mitch with you. We had Mitch with us, and and we did catch a fish, which was which was a bonus. It was really. It was our Canadian stories part one? Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. Uh, Nipissing is one of those fisheries. It is massive. That's huge. And you're doing yourself a real favor by hiring a guy for a day or two to get the lay of the land without a doubt uh during different parts of the year you're either fishing that upper french river that nipsing feeds um the west arm and then you know as the year goes on you get into the later stages november or october late october the main body is where they push out the big giant fish you know stuff starts coming out of the river systems and staging on the open water structure but again it's a massive lake you really need some inside knowledge to know where to even begin yeah and just the, the mere safety of travel <laughs> sure that's true. You know, i'd be i'd be a little nervous just to get on the wide water i've been on lots of lakes in canada that you know we've learned on our own and uh yeah it can be it can be hairy yeah, yeah, trying to figure that stuff out somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Right, so, <clears throat> how how many trips do you go on a year? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, I'm in a fortunate situation right now where most of my work, my actual career, uh, is in Canada. So, for the past seven years, you know, I've been able to justify. A, year uh, a year round Ontario license so I'd say I probably fish a total of maybe 15 to 20 days a year in Canada so that's all over the place that's anywhere from Lake of the Woods to uh, the St. Lawrence and Montreal and most of my fishing though you know, it's still local. It's Pennsylvania. It's Glendale Lake, Harlingsville Lake, the occasional trip up to Chautauqua. What's your favorite place to fish? If you're going all over the place all the time, what what's your, if you could choose one and that's it, where would it be? Well, uh, there's a sentimental part of me that would really like to say Glendale. Um, <laughs> but, but let's get real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd have to say Nipissing, um, just because it, you know, it's not St. Clair where you're going to go out there and have these crazy double-digit fish days, but it has such an ambiance to it, you know, it has that Lake of the Woods feel, and it has the potential at any moment to really cop up a giant. It had an ocean feel for me. 
Ocean? I, ocean feel. I couldn't see the other side at points. Oh, I thought you saw like orcas breaching those, or something. Those those <laughs> waves were pretty intense. <laughs> and the, the fish pictures were big too. Yeah. White whales. That's what we were at. The white, the white whales. That's what they were calling those big, those big fatty. Fish. What they were feeding on herring or... Yeah, I herring to make forage up there. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it took, you know... That was different for me. I never really fished those uh, bodies of water that had that kind of stuff in it. So, yeah, it was neat. But uh, you know, going back real quick story for 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 Glendale. You know, everyone that I've been doing the podcast now for a while with, with these guys, and uh, you know, that's one thing that comes up when you catch your first muskie. But so out of all the places that I've been. Uh, Little old Glendale Lake, Brent Glitzen State Park. I think it's 21 or 2,200 acres. Uh, 1,600. 1,600, okay. <laughs> yeah. They might have drained it, it some. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's like a horseshoe shape. Beautiful lake. Uh, when I was a kid, we, my dad was a coach out at uh, Pitt Johnstown, and uh, we moved out there in 1970 or six. Uh, Pick up sticks? Out of all the... All the places that I've been, the first muskie that I ever caught was fishing Glendale Lake, and I was trying to catch a muskie. We had a little boat tied up to the thing, and uh, I remember, I can still remember the day now, going, going back, and I, you know, when, when we got home, I called my grandpa, and he's like, Pat, you'll never believe it, what, what you know, I caught a muskie. <laughs> so in 1976 or 76, 77 is when I would have caught that fish. Uh, you know, six or seven years old. And, uh, yeah, so Glendale always had a little special place for me. That's where I caught my first husky. It wasn't only about 26 inches long, but you know what? I was trying to catch a muskie and I caught one and, uh, uh, I'd watched those guys catch them when we went to Canada all those years and everywhere else we went. But, uh, yep, I could, I could take it right to the same place if I ever went back to that lake. <laughs> I know exactly where it happened. A little spinnerbait and, uh, did you eat it? No, not, it wasn't not legal. Enough. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the thing. Glendale is just a little lake out here. Um, but it's again, uh, look, I'm the Muskie Zinc guy, so I'm going to keep plugging that. But thanks to Muskie Zinc, it has a good population of fish. Now, it's like a lot of Pennsylvania fisheries. It can be a lot of hours between fish. But you know, I had. Uh, three-hour evening fish this year where I put a 40 in the boat and a 52. Nice. It's the type of lake that has some, you know, it's known to produce big fish. We have a tournament out there June 4th and 5th this year. Um, And, you know, again, the mission of the tournaments is just kind of give people an opportunity to get together. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of great fisheries still right here in our own state. You know, even for guys who do have the opportunity to travel all over the place. Yeah, Glendale got a, I mean, at least the last, I haven't been there in a long time, but I mean, a ton of bait fish, and those fish are, they're big, they're, yeah. they're heavy. At least they were. They were big, they were heavy fish. I mean, going back to when I was a kid, the neat thing about that place was it was the only place, I think it still holds the, I'm sure they're all gone now, but they used to have the armor pike in there, like a Russian mm-hmm. muskie. And, uh, a Russian they muskie? They look like the St. Clair fish is what they look like. 
Tell me more the about Russian, these Russian muskies. Russian muskies. The government took care of them once they they got tipped. The Cold yeah. War took care of them, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> no. They thought they were called armor pipes, and they put them in there, and I believe that it probably still has the world record armor pipe. Uh, when I was a kid, that's what everybody was, you know, people were traveling there because they had this in there. The neat thing about uh, Glendale was you could catch armor pike, you could catch chain pickerel, you caught muskies, you caught the northern pike. I mean, even when, when I was a kid, when we would be crappy fishing with a, you know, a, a minnow and a, and, a, and a bobber, I mean, every time we went there, we had an encounter with one of these toothy critters. That's why I liked it much when I was a kid, uh, because you had so many of those in there. I'm sure the armor pike are long gone. Yeah, that was like a little test thing they did. They, they stocked those for quite a while. It was back in 1976, I believe, there was an issue at the hatchery, and mm-hmm. that wiped out what they were going to be putting in for that year. And after that, they never stocked them again. Glendale yeah. Lake, outside of the Muir River, which is in Mongolia and Russia, it was the only place in the world that had those fish. Yeah. Um, wow. Now, I don't think there's any genes left or anything like that. Unfortunately, it's before my time, because now I'm going to have to, you know, float the plane ticket to go to Russia to yeah. catch one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, get married in two months, I don't think it's happening anytime no. soon. You might not be fishing much anymore, no, but, uh, either. It, it is a nice little fishery we have. Yeah. There's a neat history there. I mean, it is something worth looking up, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. So the pictures of those guys, and, and that's how we started. I mean, that, that made us want to go there even more. I mean, it, from where I lived, it was about an hour trip. But, uh, you know, seeing the pictures in the local papers of these Honor Pike, and, uh, I, you know, the one time uh, I was fishing... Uh, with my dad and uh you know we were throwing baits and and uh we had one of them come up i mean he was playing his day you know honestly they do they they, they looked like the st Clair fish they had like spots on them real silver and we had one of those a giant one come in and follow i mean i think i was throwing a rebel rebel split tail rebel minnow they're about six inches long i mean i don't even know if they still make that stuff but uh yeah, I had one follow up, and I mean, we were so excited to see the thing. Uh, but, uh, neat, neat history out there. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to so say I you were mean, throwing Mitch. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had Mitch back then. I'm, I'm trying to look up these these pike. It's called an armored pike? You are armored pike. Well, yeah. while Vance is doing that, well, I, and this is kind of off topic, didn't Lake Erie have some kind of pike, a blue pike or something like that? Blue, blue pike, but it was not a walleye. Yeah, it was a walleye. And uh, you know they got they got to be extinct. No. <laughs> they fished them out of there. It, it was before. I don't think in the olden days there. I mean, well, I know there was. Uh, you know, just in talking tonight. It, it, you know, my grandpa and stuff, you know, that's what they would go up there and fish for, were, were blue pike. Mm. They looked like walleyes, but yeah. they were sort of bluish. They didn't look, from what I recall, they didn't look like a northern pike. They looked more like a walleye. And, 
Were they a they, subspecies or just they, a standalone? They're not. <laughs> yeah, for instance, you know, up on Nipsing, you'd still catch those blue pike. Oh, can you? Yeah, yeah the, you know, I mean, I think it's really just a different coloration of the wall. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, back in the 1800s in Ohio, blue pike were muskies. You know, that's one of those things up in Canada, pickerels or walleye. Yeah. 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 Pickerels or walleye. Yeah, pickerel yellow. Yeah, yeah, that's one one of the terms when we when we go walleye fishing on Erie's like we're we're after yellow pike and you know when when someone you know you, you pull the rod after it goes off and they're like what is it and you and, and you everyone's looking at you and you're like it's a yellow and you better be right or you're gonna get crap the rest of the day if it was a sheephead yeah. or anything else <laughs> you, you gotta know how the fish fights and call it when you get the rod <laughs> so okay yeah we got a nice little pike thing. Armor pike, blue pike, yellow. Um, yeah, it says. Yeah, don't pike, as, as Patrick said, you, you can't go to Glendale looking for the armor pike anymore. But it was a neat, neat part of history. I bet you that there's like folklore around there that there's still one left. And it's like there wider than the is. boat. And yeah, it's like 15 feet long. Yeah, the Loch Ness bomber. I've spoken with at least a dozen people who fought it for three hours before it broke them off. Uh, you know, there were scuba divers out there repairing the dam, and it scared them so much they had to have a shark cage brought in. I mean, you know, that, that one's still definitely out there. There's, there's oh, yeah. stories for it, not to be true. Yeah. It, it is to. a neat fisher. I mean, you know, I haven't been there in a long time, but the last time I was there, I mean, we got a really nice, I, I got a real nice, 44 inch fish on a wily jerkbait. Uh, I didn't see the weeds that I used to see when I was a kid. Uh, I, I sort of made a trip that was, you know, 15 years between, and it's been 15 years since I've been there, but yeah. <laughs> you know, the weed beds, the weed beds weren't growing, but that's a, you know, that's what's happening to those lakes. I mean, the, the weeds are, the lakes are getting some age, and they're filling in with sediment, and the weeds just don't grow like they normal. I don't think you have a lot of weed growth there now, do you? Patrick? I mean, it's it's not what it used to be, but you know, yeah. there's still some decent weed that every year it seems a little different. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, during the tournament last year, you know, wily crankbaits were still producing fish out deep, out deep, and uh, now I know this is going to sound like a terrible plug, but it's honestly God's truth. Uh, People were moving a lot of fish on the rafters. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Why would you so say that's a terrible plug? Because, yeah. you know, Wiley and plug. yourself over there at Fat AZ, you know, you guys have supported my chapter um, since our inauguration. So these guys win these things at the lure raffle we do. They use them out there and they're successful on them. Um, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. Yeah, Patrick. Good to hear. <clears throat> Wasn't it a couple years ago, and I, I could be getting this wrong. Didn't you run away with that tournament two, three years ago? Myself? No, I didn't run away with it. Um, well, one of my pupils, uh, he's now our tournament director for the chapter, uh, Matt Dombrowski. Okay. He had a total of five muskies caught the first year we had this tournament. This was before the chapter form. My father took third place. Um, on a boss shad, and this Matt Dombrowski, who, you know, we had just started fishing together about a year ahead of time, 
he pulled together a four-fish day out there, which on any Pennsylvania lake is really unbelievable. But he just put it to all of us. It was unbelievable. So he caught the lion's share of all the fish. He, he absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He capped it off with a really, really big 47-inch fish. Um, fortunately, I was near him and uh, saw that they were hooked up. I thought I'd go get some pictures from another boat just for posterity's sake and, you know, advertising the next year. And thank goodness, because he dropped off his girlfriend, picked up his dad, and his girlfriend took their camera. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some photos of it, and that just, he put it to all of us. He was a rookie, but, uh, you know. Was he casting or trolling? He was trolling. He trolling. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, again, it comes back to Muskie Zink. He got with a network of anglers, um, talked to a lot of people, went fishing with a lot of different people, and he's a sensational Muskie angler now because he's, you know, putting the time, talking to people, and this created that opportunity for him. Yeah, I mean, that that was something that, you know, that musky zinc never crossed my mind when I got into musky fishing. And I, I know we've, you know, obviously we've brought up musky zinc several times on the podcast. But, like, I was driven to learn more about this stuff. But I, all of my stuff was pretty much derived from forums, reading, you know, just digging through the internet, finding stuff looking at topographical maps, this and that. And, and you're bringing up excellent points, you know, for anyone out there that maybe wants to reduce their learning curve but don't have someone else to learn from. Like, I didn't have anyone to learn from for the first several years. I taught myself. I could have probably saved a couple years of just beating my head against the wall and punching myself in the face <laughs> if I would have just... Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're always going to have guys in the club that catch a whole bunch of fish say a lot, they talk a lot, they don't say much. But, you know, for the most part, it does, even just the, the places people are going, it takes a lot of the, uh, you know, it takes a lot of that learning curve out. I mean, just getting involved in a local chapter and, uh, you know, listen to the conversations and you get to hear, you know, when they give their reports or looking at your own clubs, uh, you know, released, uh, Awards. you know, when people turn in their, their, their releases for their, for their own little tournament that they have there, you know, the annual release awards. release awards. Yeah. You get to see where everybody's catching these fish. You get to see, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's nowhere else you can get that information that quickly. Well, and again, you know, you don't just have access as a Muskie Zinc member to, your local lakes or your local members because you have the national database, which is the lunch log. So mm -hmm. if you're from West Virginia, you're going to fish Tanyop Lake in Pennsylvania, you can go search that lake. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the best way to learn anything is to get out there and try it. And a better way than that is to get out there and try it with someone who knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm certainly no expert at this, you know. I think we're all constantly learning and evolving mm -hmm. as anglers, but it absolutely helps, you know, lessen the learning curve if you have some people who are open to sharing ideas to take you out on their boat. You know, it can only help you as an angler. Yeah. It, 
it, it surely probably would have helped me because I spent so much. When I first started musky fishing, I didn't have the bait business. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have two kids. I was just getting up, going to work, and then after that, free time playing. And when it got dark out, on the computer. And I probably could have saved a lot of time, effort, sure. money. Looking at the log. <laughs> Looking at stuff. Just it, It's just another... You know, you can you can present the best information in the world, but if someone isn't going to sit there and interpret it, it's worthless. Mm-hmm. And you know that's just you know put your time in. I mean, it sounds silly not to be a member. Sure, and I mean a lot of the information that's out there. You know, I'm a subscriber to Muskie Hunter. Love that magazine. One of the best magazines there are. Well, for muskies, it's the best that's out there. But, you know, a lot of the people who are writing articles in there, you know, they're writing about St. Clair. They're writing about Ontario's shield lakes. They're writing about Kentucky. And while there's certain tactics that can apply everywhere, somewhere like Pennsylvania, where most of our lakes are man-made, there's a different style of fishing. And unfortunately, that's something that you don't see in the big articles that are out there. You know, um, Chautauqua, you know, Todd has a ton of experience up there, obviously. A lot of the tactics that you're going to read about Kentucky aren't going to apply up there. So it's only when someone like Todd writes an article for Muskie Hunter that you get that quality written information. Yeah, applying to your location. puts you in touch with people right down the road from you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know. We keep coming right back. We keep plugging Muskie's Inc. Muskie's Inc. No matter what store we go to. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just seems like it's it's useful for uh, really useful for 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 beginners and vets too to be a part of it. But logging onto the computer, seeing those logs, and using all that data i mean i would have I, I would have absolutely done that if i was going to fish a lake and i knew that you know somebody caught seven fish on some crankbaits or whatever i would probably end up trying to mimic the same thing if i was doing that there so um yeah it seems useful yeah useful information now there's also a magazine that comes with a subscription talk a little about that because i really don't know anything about it the magazine, a uh, real creative name they came up with, it's called Muskie. Uh, really? How did they come up with that? <laughs> I'll tell you, the think tank that we have is just unmatchable. unmatchable. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a great, great part of membership. Uh, a young lady named Amy Penza is an editor. She does a great job. Basically, Muskie, it will have some of your how-to articles, gear tips, stuff like that. Part of it also in the back section is this area where each chapter basically writes a little newsletter so they can stay in touch with what's going on in their chapter. Uh, there's a president's message. One nice thing about Muskie, the magazine, is that it's real in-depth or offers a lot more quality information about programs as far as DNR, Fish Commission programs, um, studies that are being done uh, as opposed to a lot of other publications out there. You know, I think 
all of us musky nerds, you know, we, we're all in one sense wannabe biologists. You know, we like seeing how the research is done, getting the information, looking at the, the statistics of it all, and trying to apply that to our own fisheries. Well, muskies has a great job, does a great job of providing that information. Um, next month, the second weekend of March out in Minnesota, we have our annual board meeting. So it's a big powwow with the executive committee and all of us region reps and whoever wants to show up. But part of it also is they're doing a three-day symposium. So they have 65 abstracts from fisheries biologists that focus on muskies everywhere from St. Lawrence River to New Mexico, where there's tiger muskies, all over the muskie range. And they are putting all these biologists under one roof for three days to compare notes. And the last one standing wins. <laughs> What's that? No, nah, I was a joke. It's a fight to the death. <laughs> it's a fight uh, to the death. <laughs> but, uh, it, no, no, great opportunity. And, you know, it's, again, something Muskie Inc. is providing to, you know, help different states compare notes to see what can apply from one area to the next. And Muskie, the magazine, offers a lot of articles that are kind of along those lines. Neat. And that's included, I mean, you're, you're getting, it, it comes out every two months? Every... Yeah, every other month, that's part of your membership fee. So it's just like Muskie Hunter, you're getting it every two months. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh... The only other magazine that I know of. Right. And we're currently in a lot of efforts, um, you know, just doing what we can to improve it. You know, we're always looking for, or Amy's always looking for new articles. Um, again, while Muskie Hunter is a great publication, you have a lot of the same writers doing articles time and again. And maybe that doesn't always apply to your fishery. But Muskie's kind of publication where if I, Patrick, want to write an article about uh, fishing, you know, outflows of man-made lakes, which we know here in Pennsylvania is a great tactic to catch uh, fish that have escaped, they'll certainly look into publishing something like that. It's much more likely it will get published. Hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh... So, you know, you might be able, just any, anyone, any member could possibly submit an article that they feel is a, a little underutilized tactic or something that someone sure. might feel that could be reviewed for publication. Yeah, and what's nice about it, too, is, you know, we're going to start making a little more effort, or Amy is, you know, getting more stuff from just basic articles. Maybe it's just a blurb in each issue, but something to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of people who come into Muskie's Inc., they're new to the sport. And we want to give them a positive experience. Well, they might not know all the intricacies of how to make a leader that some of us do have been around the sport for a while. Mm -hmm. So it's going to offer you more opportunities to learn some of the basics, too, if you're new to the sport. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So... You've been all over Canada. Have you been all over the United States? Yeah, I've been in a lot of different areas. <laughs> okay, in, in in the United States, where where I asked you this for your one lake anywhere or one body of water. 
in the U.S., where would you like to be? I mean, if I had a choice just to go fish anywhere in the U.S., um, my ultimate choice would just have to be the St. Lawrence River. Now, I know that's divided between Canada and the U.S., uh, but, you know, the trophy potential there is unreal. Have you caught a fish in the St. Lawrence? Uh, I, I've snagged two gar. <laughs> I've done a few trips up there, and I've, I've uh, only snagged gar while trolling. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting selection because it's not like you have a history there or anything. That, that, uh, there's enough lure there for you to want to go there and just fish sure. it. I mean, you know what? We all want to catch fish. I mean, there's not a person in this sport, you know, who doesn't. But I think we all also reach a point where the what we're targeting is different. You know, it, to me, yes, I want to go out and put a fish in the boat or a couple fish in the boat every trip. But I'd much rather have a realistic chance at something you know, that's 40 pounds than just, you know, put a bunch of smaller fish in the boat. You know, your goals as a musky angler, they evolve just like your fishing skills, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for some places that I really like to fit, you know, Chautauqua, I go up there once a year maybe, maybe twice. It's a big body of water. Yeah. And what always shocks me about Chautauqua is when I'm up there, and I catch fish you know almost every trip but i don't go out there and catch seven like some of the other guys do you know to me chautauqua is one of those places or there's a lot of places where i just be interested in learning it there you know and that's what it's come to me you know a i'm looking for size more than anything but b there's certainly bodies of water which i would just like to investigate more that's the appeal you know, learning new tactics, learning how to talk with ticks. Because every time I go up there, whatever we did last time or everyone else was doing that caught all the fish, it's completely different. I mean, it happens from year to year. Sure. Um, I mean, and it does, even for me guiding and spending 100 days a year there. You know, everyone's like, oh, you know, people are booking my trips now. Well, last year when I do this, like, I can't guarantee it to be the same. You know, there's years the trolling is off the hook up there. There's years the casting is. The areas are different. Uh, we're, we're, where we're trying to do what you're saying. We're trying to, I'm not looking to catch fish or two. I mean, when I'm taking clients, we want to catch, you know, obviously want to catch six or eight every day, which doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, the place gets hot different places and, uh, but, you know, inter- I mean, do you, I mean, your choice, the, 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 you said the place that you would, the St. Lawrence River, I mean, it's big. I mean, they, they catch giant fish out in Minnesota all the time. But, uh, you know, you look back at the end of the year, every year, it's hard to say that the biggest fish almost every season that's legitimately caught by someone usually comes out of the St. Lawrence, right? Uh, Georgian Bay throws them in there, too, which uh, that's a, I've never fished the St. Lawrence. Uh, I've spent some time on the on Georgian Bay, and uh, 
it's a tough fisher, you do not go there with the same mentality that you do when you go to Chautauqua. <laughs> no, but, you know, again, it's as you develop as an angler, your goal is shift. You know, it's like a career. You know, first goal, you know, when you get into the sport, you want to catch your first. You yeah. Like catch the numbers, then you eventually get to a point where, you know, for instance, Sinclair is awesome. I've done mm-hmm. it multiple times. It's unreal. Every muskie angler in the world should be able to go there once in their lifetime and experience that. But to me personally, I really don't care if I go back. I mean, I'm sure I will at some point, but I'd rather go a place where the ambiance is better, you know? Mm-hmm. Somewhere a little more remote, get that real Canadian feel, not just be staring at downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have the opportunity to, you know, realistically put a 40 pounder in the bag. Yep. You know, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're letting them all go, obviously, but, you know, there's still something about getting that photo. You know, one photo with, you know, a 40 pound fish, to me, is worth 100 photos of 35 inches, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say but, 35 you know, pounders. Different yeah. things for different anglers. And, you know, part of my drive anymore, I think you guys have noticed I'm pretty into this muskies anything, uh, but part of my drive anymore is helping people learn, just getting people into the sport. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. you're in a good organization to be doing that, and right, you know, and it's. I think it's a really cool thing about the area that we live. You know, obviously, there's umpteen million fisheries in Wisconsin, Minnesota, muskies in all those lakes, just lake after lake. You know, people. I, 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 I uh, when I went out there a few times, I mean, these guys. The, the the choices that they have. I mean, you know, these people tell me like within within a, a forty five minute drive, they have like fifty lakes that they can fish that have muskies in them. You know, we we do not have that where we live. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can usually get to one of the river systems pretty much anywhere you live in Pennsylvania within a half hour drive. You can get to one of these river systems that potentially hold the hold the fish, but. uh I mean, the fisheries out there are just endless. But uh, I think that that's always been one of the neatest things. Is, you know, when guys say, you know, you bought, you, you, know, you, you go fish like the woods, you do all this. I say, no, I don't. And I've, I've been out there and done some of that stuff. I, I, I really don't have the, the desire to drive that far to do it because from where I live, I mean, within a six or six, seven hour drive, I can be on the Georgian Bay, I can be on Lake Nipsing, within drive about the same. I could be in the St. Lawrence River. I mean, we live close enough to some of these. These are, those are, as, as I just stated earlier, I mean, you can't argue the fact. I mean, they catch big ones a lot of places, but I mean, we live, you know, as far as the vacation goes and putting six or eight hours on the road to get somewhere, there's a lot of those guys that live out there that come out here to fish our fisheries. Uh, you know, we we sort of get left out as like the east. You know, the you know, you don't, you know, a lot of the people don't think about it in the musky fishery, but uh, you know, a lot of the real serious guys do because the size of the fish, the opportunities you have, 
I'm just going north from where we live, up into Canada. Uh, then, then we also have endless bodies of water. Some of them put out the biggest fish. <laughs> the biggest fish are getting caught. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, we really, I, I know I, myself personally, there's a lot of times where I don't appreciate what's within a realistic drive. You know, because like mm-hmm. the Lake of the Woods, you know, every time I've done it, well, it's 20 plus hours in a car. You know, I've been yeah. out there a few times. It's an investment. And a few you know, times. You've been out there a few. few. <laughs> it's awesome, but there's world class fisheries that are within a day's drive of where we are. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't have any crazy stories where I've gone anywhere. I'm pretty boring in that subject. <laughs> it took it took me two years to get you to go to Chautauqua and you were fifty <laughs> minutes away. Yeah, and then you, was out of state. You had to cross the border. You thought we had to go through customs to get into New York. Oh gosh, yeah, I was I was ready for a cavity search. Get his passport. Yeah. The, what happens when we get into New York? <laughs> I was worried. I was not worried. <laughs> Yeah, and then with Todd, he drug me down to Cave Run, fished the PMTT. Yep, yeah, because you're all the way down to Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. That's my. Oh, I, I've been to Malax once, but that was. that. That's about. Did you fly? No, we drove. My, uh. My, my. Well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but my wife, she, uh, had to go to some training or something in St. Paul, and. There you go. I said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> And that was my first muskie. But I think I've told that story. But anyways, that's that's my three out-of-state trips. I don't yeah. think I've ever fished them. That, that's so, it. So, you know, that's, a, that's the thing. You know, that I've been extremely fortunate in my life to have these opportunities to go to these places. Um, and to do it, you know, I don't make a million dollars a year. You know, because of my job, it's allowed me that opportunity. But at the end of the day... You know, you still have to fish what's in your backyard. And you have to take care of that fishery first and foremost. You know, because that's what's going to be there 20 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Patrick, before the podcast started, I asked you to think of a story. I try to do this with all the guests. Did you think of a story? I, I got my best story that I have for musky fishing. Oh, okay, well, you label it the best. This better be good. It's just my <laughs> best. Um, way after I graduated college, um, I was beginning a little bit of a freelance career in outdoor writing. And that previous Christmas, my father gifted me with a real nice Nikon D80 digital camera. You know, one of those thousand dollar jobbies Yep. You know, big zoom lens. Well, my father and I were right after college, and he had taken all my college graduation <laughs> photos on his camera. We went up to Tynesco Lake for a weekend to go musky fishing. What's great about Tynesco Lake, you can just pull up and camp wherever. So, nice little weekend, just the old man and I. Saturday, we fished forever and ever and ever. And right at sunset, I caught this beautiful 45-inch fish cast in a flat up there. And 
you know, the water was pink with the sunset, just beautiful, got some great photos. That night we'd get back to the campsite. It was the night the Penguins won the Stanley Cup last time, so we were able to listen to that on the radio. The next day, my father's childhood friend and his daughter came to join us. We were out and trolling since there were so many people on the boat. One line gets snagged, the other one hooks up with a fish. My father's in the bow, I'm running the boat. The one that could snag just kind of stuck in a rod holder. Eventually the line actually went out on and spooled us, so that rod ended up getting laid in the bottom of the boat. So this gentleman's fighting the fish, we're just focusing on that. Already things are going haywire. <laughs> So my dad's taking photos. I dip the net under this fish. We have it sitting there in the bag. This is this guy's first muskie. His daughter's excited. You know, we're all pumped. So I'm bent over, I'm hooking this fish, and all of a sudden I see my dad, out of the corner of my eye, dive into the water. <laughs> oh, no. And I thought, well, that's pretty weird, but I got this fish to deal with, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it so, didn't, like, register. Fish, fish first, dad second. Yeah. You got to clean out so, the net. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do what you got to do. There, there's the yeah. issue at hand. We'll be fine. So, Big Norm pops back up, you know, looking like a, a drowned walrus or something. <laughs> and he lifts his arm up and he has his fishing rod, the one that had gone spooled out, in his hand. <laughs> he had knocked the fishing rod in the water. Okay. Awesome. He got the fishing rod, right? So okay. So, we get him up in. To the boat, and we go to take pictures of this guy's fish. But we can't find the big Nikon camera. Oh, my. <laughs> well, Hannah Hill had this story for us. When my father knocked the fishing rod in, he threw the camera in the bottom of the boat and dove in after the fishing rod. Unfortunately, his heel caught the strap of the camera mm. and spent about 40 yards out into the lake. <laughs> where promptly sank. We tried to get back, but it never did come back. Um, so my dad lost his iPhone, the camera, uh, his Mally Jim sunglasses. Wow. So all in total, he lost about $1,400 worth a year, but he did save his ugly stick fishing rod. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Oh, that's the most memorable fishing story I have. I'm going to tell you what, them ugly sticks, I watched the woman put it in the garbage disposal and turn it on. and Fish with it the next day. Yeah, the guy just picked it up and went fishing. Let the dog chew on it. You she know? must have been really upset with him. Probably, I, but it was. I was watching Saturday morning fishing shows and that was an ugly stick commercial. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, crap. Did uh, let me? Okay, so... The the rod and reel that hooked up that, that 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 snagged, you guys just kept going and you just let it spool? No, what happened was my father will argue this at the end of the days. I put the boat into neutral. There was a wind blow that just kinda of kept blowing us. Well, we were trying to deal with this fish. We were a small sixteen foot boat, so it was just a mess. Again, I stuck that thing in this rod holder and was trying to deal with the fish. You know, we didn't want to start backing up on it or anything. And the wind just kept blowing and blowing and blowing until it spooled it. Did you, okay, did you guys go back to try to find the, the line? 
We did. We couldn't find the line floating. I mean, with all that line out, you'd think it would, but I think it's just because of how that wind was blowing. It might have kept it under the surface. Uh, but really, after the dust had settled, our bigger effort was putting on uh, the giant daredevils that we had from back in the 70s and trying to hook the strap in the camera. <laughs> Never found the camera. No, no. Mm. So someday someone out there catfishing or something's going to pull up that camera and wonder what happened. And hopefully oh, yeah. they've tuned into this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch, you, that camera shows up on your doorstep next week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great if it did. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just crazy how, how all that, you, you, you try to save something. you got to put floats on everything. Well, oh, even that. still, the camera probably wasn't waterproof. Oh, no. That thing was... Within before. two seconds of it being in the water, it was like, yeah, mm. system malfunction, shut down. Those cameras well, to, to take pictures with fish are amazing. I, I just, I'm reluctant to put them, take them on the boat with me because of that. I feel like I just, they would go in. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little Smurfy's law, right? Something's going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I got a quick one, I'll tell you. Just, just because. It fits? I, yeah, I, I, I forget a lot of this stuff, but, you know, things jar my memory so I'm, I'm fishing in canada with my he was the best man at my wedding he was my best friend phil who had passed away he got cancer at 45 years old and died when he's 47 but oh. he uh I'm, I'm fishing in canada with him and uh this is a long time ago i mean we did not have the equipment we have now but we, we were fishing we were in some shallow water he windy we were in a small boat, 16 foot, probably shouldn't even have been fishing. We were up in one of the Canadian lakes and it was rough, but you know, we were doing our thing and he, he got, it turns out he got snagged. You know, he, he, he we're fishing in around some stumps and things. So he, uh, we went up on the wave. One thing led to another, he drops his rod in the water. He loses his rod, just falls into the water randomly in this muck weed mess that we were fishing in and uh headed home I, I i i used to go to canada for two weeks uh, and uh he was there for the first week and then he went home and uh i'm fishing with some other friends the second week i was there we we're drifting through the same area and uh out of we're drifting through this area and i looked down there is filled rod <laughs> ambassador one of those red Ambassador Reels, Ambassador 5500, it is laying on this, there's a log laying down there in the water, and this rod is laying there, perfectly laying on top of this rod, or the, the, the rod is laying on top of this log. So, I reached, you know, I jump in the water, dive down, grab the rod, it wasn't that deep, it was only a few feet deep, but uh, I grabbed the rod, and it was hooked. You know, we still hung up on a on a stump, and uh, you know, we went back and I got the lure unhooked and everything. And just when you said that thing that you're up in your doorstep, that triggered this story because that's what I did. So I come home from Canada and I drive right past his house as we're going, and you know, he was working obviously. And uh, as we're driving past, I stop with my boat on, so I pull up 
into the driver real quick. I go up and I set the rod, lean it against the front door. <laughs> now I just go ahead and go home, you know. Now he doesn't use the front door all that often, but it, it, it you know, it's like two or three days later, <laughs> I get a phone call from Phil. And he's like, how in the world did you get that rod, you know? Uh, what rod? Out yeah. of all things. <laughs> oh, it, it, it could have fallen into all the, you know, when you're fishing in the weed bed, just weed. Nice, clear, sunny day. I could see that thing shining. Oh, my gosh, there's no rod. And I, this, that's exactly what I did was uh, set on the doorstep. <laughs> I want to play dumb for a while. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're going to Canada next week. We haven't left yet. I would have just screwed with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. He got his rod back. <laughs> that's that's perfect. all right, man. Let, let, let's throw these plugs out again. This this big uh, this fly fishing tournament. I think it's going to be bigger and better than like you said. There's a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of people interested, and there's more and more people getting interested in fly fishing. I'm not going to be able to go. I was only the, uh, I was more like the rower last year. <laughs> I, I'm not really a fly fisherman, but uh, I, yeah, I was the boat guy. I did well, do some fly fishing, but <laughs> well, it's going to be unbelievable this year. We're doing a food drive with it. That's going to support um, the Warren community up there since they're hosting us again. Uh, trying to give back to those who are hosting us. But basically, if you're on Facebook, search the Nittany Valley Muskie Alliance. We are updating it all the time with information about this big fly fishing tournament and our other smaller tournaments. Or go check out our website, www.muskievinks.org slash chapter 64. It's a great event. Uh, Good food, good people, and, you know, you can just check out what our chapter is doing as well. We keep the Facebook updated regularly. It's uh, worth looking into all the time. Good deal. Um, we should have probably hit this one right from the get-go. Not this weekend, but next weekend. It's the Southern Muskie Fest. You will, if you're down there in that area, you will probably see Todd and Vance. I am hanging back that week. Um... Tony and Greg are putting this on. It's the first one. I don't know the dates off the top of my head. So that's going to really make it weird for someone that's listening to this two, three weeks out. February 27th and 28th, I believe. Yeah, and you could probably find that on Greg or Tony's Facebook. Greg Thomas, Tony Grant. Check it out. Battle of the Beast Guide Service. And you guys are going to be at the Musky Motel? Or is it... The Musky Mountain, Mountain, Mountain Lodge. Lodge. Yeah. Musky Mountain Lodge. I the like Musky Mountain Lodge. I uh, I informally call it the Musky Motel, which probably misleads people. I'm sure it's clean. It's not musky. It's a hoot and holler in time. <laughs> it's a hoot and holler in time. Yeah. We'll uh, have stories for the podcast, I'm sure, just about our stay. About your stay. And there's a chance that you and Todd might be doing a podcast from down there. Mm. There's a chance. We're going to try to get that hooked up. Um, yeah, Vance, this is all on you. That's fine. Just you got to run this thing. So, done. Yeah, Greg put uh, Greg put the word out. To invite anybody who wants to be on the podcast. Anybody respond? Uh, we're gonna try to do it Saturday morning, right before we we'll get it loaded up. But uh, 
I don't know what's going on for my garage here. We'll figure it out. You, yeah, because you guys will figure it out. Todd, Todd you, you can't see this setup. <laughs> I'll set it up. You'll set it Ex- up. Expect yeah. a lot of people to unfollow it. After, after that <laughs> oh, what am I the glue that's keeping the people? <laughs> I'll, I'll hit. We'll record. make it just a. I'll we'll hit record when I'm not supposed to. Bi-weekly podcast put yeah. on by Vance and Todd. <laughs> that's right. We probably won't record anything. We'll just load up nothing. But yeah, we'll try. <laughs> it, it's it's it. You'll be fine. Uh, we're gonna want to thank St. Croix Rods, Todd, guide staff. Love them. We use them. That's. You know, St. Croix Rods. Look them up on the internet. Everyone knows. Um, Fatty Z Musky Products, fattyzmusky.com, Fatty Z Musky Products on Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram. Vance is running the Instagram. He is, we're in a race for likes. That's <laughs> Quality what, likes, like the Muskies Inc. chapter. That's right. And uh, then we have Todd Young on Facebook, mcfishingguides.com, and Muddy Creek Fishing Guides on Facebook. Um, Till next time, guys, thanks for listening. Good luck fishing.